then. Yes. Hi everyone, welcome to The Big Thought. I'm here with Gavin Lassine and myself, Winston Williams, and we will be interviewing Lisa Hanley today. Lisa Hanley is a freelance journalist and producer. She has a podcast called The Scrutiny Hour. So if you haven't heard that, check that out straight after this. <laughs> Lisa is going to tell us about what she's doing. Lisa, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I'm very grateful. Um, and yeah, I'm far away with the questions. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. Um, we spoke recently, we met on a group where you presented yourself as a freelance journalist. So yeah. tell us about what you do. Um, so I'm a freelance journalist and producer that and I'm based in London. Um, I've just actually finished my master's um, in TV journalism in July. Um, and when I was coming to the end of that, um, I actually got commissioned to do a documentary, um, which was great. Um, so I'm working on that as well as developing this podcast as well. Um, the reason why I, I kind of ended up doing this is because, um, because of it like a, a long story which probably you won't have time for um but um i've i've always wanted to do journalism i've always been a journalist deep down but i just didn't ever have the confidence to do it because i didn't think i was smart enough confidence issues um but yeah and when i finally did it it, it, it was like second nature um i think that I really enjoy speaking to people and finding out people's stories and the whys of everything. Um, I'm super nosy, super inquisitive. Um, so naturally, this is definitely the industry for me. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and it's fun. Okay. Tell us about your journey. How did you get to where you are now uh, to becoming freelance? Um, well, I... I went through a lot of industries to get here. Um, I didn't just jump into journalism. Um, I was first a hairdresser. So that's, that's how I started working. I started working at like 13. Um, and when my friend's mums found out that I was doing hair, they started hiring me. So I started going to their houses after school in my school uniform no money or anything but they were paying me to just turn up there and they were feeding me and everything so i was like oh this is amazing you know um so i started kind of building a business from there just by chance and then i ended up going to study hair and makeup and then getting into the, that industry um just authentically um and because um a lot of my family members are in the hairdressing and beauty world i ended up kind of going towards that um, that side of it, but I was still writing. I was still kind of very engraved into books because I'm, I'm somewhat of a bookworm. I, I love reading. Um, and I was writing and stuff and I wanted to work for magazines and I ended up um, interning at a lot of um, fashion magazines. Um, and when I found out how fashion magazines treat interns, yeah. I was done. I was so done. Um, I was stuck in a fashion cupboard. I wasn't writing anything. I was 
um, sorting out clothes for shoots and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. And um, I really wanted to kind of be writing and be finding out stories and speaking to people. And when I finally got a chance to do that, it was for a wedding magazine and I got to interview makeup artists and hairdressers and stuff like that. And what was quite funny is that because I, I was a hair and makeup artist, when I was interviewing them, it felt like I wasn't learning anything. And it just felt like I was got, I went full circle. Um, so I was like, I, I just need to get out of this. And I applied for a lot of um, reporter roles. I re applied for a lot of jobs um, in like, you know, the establishments like ITV, BBC, whatever. And I wasn't getting through. Um, so then I ended up getting, going through a back door and getting into events. And then I worked in fintech, and which is financial technology. I did, I did tell Winston this the other day. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you were like, "What's fintech?" Um, I was like that when I started working there. I didn't know what it was. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up working there, and I ended up working alongside a financial reporter, and I found her job absolutely fascinating. Um, she could go all over the world. She was interviewing bankers, and my job was to. In um, to invite the bankers to the, the conferences and um, be speaking to them on that on that level. Um, and I applied for a reporter role in that company and I didn't get it. I was so disheartened. Um, and then I ended up going into a different role, being a producer for conferences, for like really large scale conferences for like um, the governance industry. With that story just told, is there anything in that particular part of the journey that you would consider like a, a huge challenge? like? Um yeah i mean it's a, it's a challenge kind of changing career always people always told me that i should get into fashion i should get into hair and it was always people projecting their ambitions for me onto me and it was like i had to fight to to, to figure out what i wanted to do for myself and um i always knew that the industries that i was in weren't the right industries for me but i was making people proud i was making people like you know I was making my mum proud, my family proud, you know, I was like, oh, you know, let's stay in this. But, um, you know, at some point I had to make decisions for myself. And um, I think, I think the way I was raised, I was always raised as an individual rather than somebody that is doing, you know, like a collective. I'm, I'm an only child. I don't know if there's any of the rest of you only children. I know, I've got no. brothers. <laughs> oh, well. Um, being an only child is the best thing ever because you literally just you get a really good sense of self very early especially if you're if you have a parent that's strong enough to be able to let you go early so you can figure things out and my mum was really adamant on creating a, an independent person rather than creating someone that was dependent on her or someone else so I literally figured out a lot of things for myself um and yeah, I, I tried a lot of things before I got into the industry that I'm in. And with trying things, you have a lot of failures and it can be a knock to your confidence. Um, but it was about kind of getting myself up and constantly having that perseverance and telling myself that I'm worthy to be in this industry, you know? Um, so yeah, there was a lot of challenges. It was not easy sailing at all. So looking at... Sorry. So, so looking at your your failures and the things that you do, how do you view them now, having been through a number of failures? Do you view them as 
opportunities for you to better yourself, an opportunity for you to learn or an experience, or does it still have that same damning effect um, that it did when you first sort of came across your first few as a professional? Um, yeah, I, I think that failures are good. You know, um, the more that you fall down is the more you will persistently get up, you know, and before you know it, you know, you won't fall anymore. I think most of the time, when when you've got a cushion to fall on, you you just you you kind of go through life just easy, like you don't you don't ever strive for anything because you you've always you always think that you have, you know. Um, and I was always fearful of not having anything because I've been in the point where I've not had anything, mm. and that was not a result of anybody around me. That was a result of myself. You know, I put myself in that position before. Yeah, so I yeah. knew what that felt like and I didn't want to put that on myself again. Mm. So everything that I've done and every failure that I've had, it's been of my own doing. And I was able to jump back up and, and, and be able to, you know, get myself back up. And it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a bit pride to know that you are able to get yourself out of a hard situation and you've done it yourself without asking anyone for help. For me, that, that was what I found you know great about it yeah. um yeah it's very empowering isn't it yeah yeah it is. I was um thinking about you've used the words persistence and perseverance and, and the story that you describe and your upbringing and and i'm hearing like a northern accent as well so i'm guessing is that is that has that been part of uh you know your attitude towards thing and do you find that that helps you with journalism because i can imagine you need to really in some cases you'll need to be persistent with your questioning and uh, you know to get to the answers you want to get to yeah i mean I'm so Manchester is completely different from London in so many ways. It's where I came from. It's more of a communal kind of atmosphere, whereas here it's very individualistic, you know. Um, so when when I grew up, I grew up with I went to high school with the same friends that I went to primary school with. And um, we all kind of grew up together. We all went into complete different avenues. But, um, you know, you have your friends that go this way and you have your friends that go that way. And, you know, I've learned from so many different people. Um, and I would say that every person that came into my life was a lesson um, and taught me something and built my character in some kind of way where they've challenged me. I've been bullied before. It's not the best thing. <laughs> um, and things like that kind of build, you know, a backbone in you. And, um, in, in journalism, you really, um, it's so competitive. I did not know how competitive it was until I got into this industry. Um, it's, they, they make it out like there's only this amount of space for this amount of people. So therefore, it's like, you know, you're either going to, you know, make it or you're not, you're just going to be forgotten, you know? And that's how they teach you as well, you know? They, they teach you in that way as well. It's, you know, they offer a lot of the time the lecturers will send out job roles to about 60 odd people where it's like for one slot and you're thinking gosh you know what kind of um you know you're not really building any kind of community within these classes you make everybody compete against each other because they're trying to get this one spot um so if i if i was never if i never grew up the way i did and I did go into, I was in athletics as well. I was playing mm. football. I was a runner. So I know competition. Yeah. Um, 
So if I never grew up like that, then I wouldn't be able to be in this industry. I think that kind of endurance of, you know, being in a competitive environment for long periods of time is really good for, for this particular field. Um, so, yeah. Is there anyone who's influenced you? Um, not only to go into journalism, but just that, 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 uh, that characteristic you described that you have, that persistence. Uh, anyone who inspires in you to have that? Um, Trevor McDonald was always, I don't know if you know Trevor McDonald. Oh my gosh. He was like the granddad of everybody I knew. Like, you know, he was Caribbean, old, great. And he's been on television for years and years and years. And like every time he would come on, my whole house would go quiet. Because, you know, Trevor's on. Everyone's listening to Trevor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was... It was like, you know, the way that he's, you know, his presence, the fact that he was one of the only ones that was the same color as me that I saw on television at the time. Mm. Um, you know, it was someone like him that I, I saw that that made me feel like I could do it. Um, and then I I also um, watched a lady called um, Zainab Badawi. Um, she is um, a Sudanese British TV and radio journalist. And she did, she did BBC Hard Talk. And it's very hard to get, you know, black journalists on BBC Hard Talk. Mm-hmm. And she was, like, interviewing, like, war criminals, you know, presidents of countries. Um, she has got a series on BBC at the moment where she's talking about, you know, a, a different side of African history. Um, she's, I like the way that she changes, she's trying to change the perception of, um, you know, African history to and and kind of bringing that into into British society and putting it on British television. Um, so you know there is a lot of influences that I have had, but there's not been any influences that have been my age that I've been able to look at. It's like you know they're young like me, but they're t- talking about things that I want to talk about. Um, I still haven't found that. I'm waiting to find that. I'm hoping. Yeah, you can you can be that person. If if it's not there, it's an opportunity for you to create it. That's that's the yeah. way I see things. You know, yeah. and, and going back to how you were educated and uh I just feel it's very unfair that the education system placed all these limiting beliefs on you having this much work and then telling you there's only this many people that can actually do the work, which yeah. is complete lunacy is false you can get out and you can approach them and you can do it yourself and create your own channel but they yeah. make you feel like you can't and this is what's really bad about a lot of what's going on in the education in our society um i feel anyway yeah i agree i mean if i didn't start my business when i was younger i wouldn't be okay doing this now because mm. it would feel it would feel nonsensical you know mm. and a lot of the time in the education system, especially in schooling, they don't teach you to work for yourself. They teach you how to be an employee. Yes, and I think that there's, there's something that needs to be changed there. You know, yeah. after school, I was being picked up by people that wanted their hair done. You know, yeah. everyone around me was like, didn't understand why I was going to this person's house at whatever time. But I was building a, a level of entrepreneurism. Yeah, and yeah. my mum just kind of let let me do that let me do that and she, she didn't ever step in and be like you know um what what the hell why are you coming in at one o'clock in the morning when you're like 14 from another woman's house doing her hair you know yeah, yeah. She, just, she never stopped me yeah. um she just it was like you know learning as i go just kind of how 
these things can influence you know y- mm. me years later in, in doing what I'm doing now um, yeah yeah because it reminds me of the story because I was reading um about uh, this real estate agent coming from America because there's two different systems from here and uh, in the UK and in America and uh, what happened was um he was telling him about the difference uh, that the Americans work more on commission um, so what happens is the, the UK guy sold something like two million pounds worth of property and he earned about 200 grand from that. And, every, you know, that's a pretty, that's very good salary, obviously. But then the same guy in America, he told that, told him that the same guy in America did the same thing and earned 600 grand. And he was like, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. And then the guy said, yeah, well, would you take that job? And he goes, yeah, but what's the basic first? And it's just like... Yeah. <laughs> that's the mentality you know <laughs> the, yeah. the, the the lack of self-belief of your abilities to be able to go out and do that they all everybody it seems like in europe just has this sort of safety risk averse sort of mentality to always work for someone that it's always about who you associate your self-worth is associated with what company you work for as opposed yeah. to you doing what you are doing you know and it's it is i find that quite you know it's quite sad in a way you know, people yeah, and people use that as leverage as a superiority thing to, to, to sort of put over you. And it's not, and it's, it's really damning. It's not really nice because your ability is not judged based on somebody else's thing. It's what you produce. And if you can produce the goods, you can produce the goods. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. It takes a long time to get there though, especially mm. when you are growing up around people that are very, you know, safety in a job, safety yeah. in working for a company, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's very hard to be able to be like, well, I can do it myself, Yeah, you know, and people are just looking at you weird, like, okay, you know, most entrepreneurs, you know, go bust in this amount of years and most restaurants go this, fail in this amount of years. And, you know, th- there's all these kind of, you know, myths that yeah. are playing into society all the time that are making you feel like you are not worthy. Um, and it takes a lot of mental strength to be able to fight against that. Yeah. I think Gavin and I spoke about this in another interview, actually, is that, that, that where the system is building you up to not fail. Like, you're not, you're not allowed to fail. If you fail, it's like the worst thing that can happen. Whereas in life, failure is actually what allows you to eventually get to success. So you learn, yeah. you learn by your mistakes along the way, right? Yeah. yeah. Through, through, through failing, you, you, you evolve. You know, you experience what you're not and what you don't want to be so you, that you can work towards what you want to be. And without that, you, you don't know. So yeah. it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very difficult. And I find like, because I was born in America, I've got a lot of family and friends out there. The, the mentality is totally different. You know, everyone's rewarded for being an entrepreneur and everyone's like, yeah, go get it when you're out in the States. But over here, it's like, can't you just get a job? You're just wasting yeah. your time. I mean, what's the, what's the point? Are you too lazy or whatever, you know? And it's just really frowned upon. And, you know, but then when you do become a success, everyone wants to shake your hand. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, it's so weird to me because I just think to myself, well, how do you think everybody else has done it? You know, yeah. like it wasn't, it wasn't that, clean sailing. Exactly. That company that you're working for started off with someone like you. <laughs> they yeah. decided I want to, to run my own thing. And that over the years it happened through, through their hard work and consistency and determination, yeah. that type of stuff. And they just, they, they completely have a disconnect. They just don't see where that, where that came from. I think just accepting that you're going to make mistakes along the way. Um, I know like a pretty large company in Denmark um, I've been involved in at the beginning. And one of the things I've, I've seen what they do 
that I really love about their company is that they just they just make decisions, and if they if it's a mistake, they fix it along the way. And I think that's what's allowed them to. I think they've grown. To, they've become a huge company within about ten years, compared wow. to if they've really carefully done everything, they wouldn't they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are now. So it's that, that's allowing yourself to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and there is a bit of privilege in being able to make mistakes because you know some people can't actually afford to to make mistakes because they've got too many uh uh dependents yeah, mm-hmm. um and you know i've also got to bear that in mind that it's not very easy for people to kind of just go out and take risks when they've got people to look after um yeah. so yeah um, i'm lucky that i don't have that so i can you know fall over as many times as possible but not everybody has that that's definitely a really uh, important point. I've, um, I'm sure you guys do too, but I follow like a lot of uh, self-help gurus and people who were giving advice about how to develop yourself and working in mental health. That's one of the things that I just, I feel it sometimes. It just, I love the advice. I love the motivation, but it's that knowing there's some people who can't actually do that for one reason or another, whether it's because of their responsibilities or just they're unable to cognitively or physically. Or I think that's sometimes something that's, that's, that's missed when we, get this motivation from all these, you know, Tony Robbins and uh, there's a a military guy I really like in the States at the moment and really like his message, but some of it is just not possible for for some people, right? Yeah, it isn't. I mean, like, um, my dad had a mental illness and he's passed away now, but he, um, he had paranoid schizophrenia and I, when I was 15, I was his carer. I was looking after him and I will never forget just kind of, how hard he found it to deal with this, the mental health services in the UK and how much he didn't have trust in the psychologists and stuff like that here. Um, and because he had bad experiences with them, it was almost like, you know, he was in this small isolated bubble and because the people that were supposed to help him, he couldn't trust, it was like he, he, didn't, he didn't see any way out of it, you know, and I, it, it was just, it was torture to be able to kind of watch him in this predicament and see that he was getting sick and, you know, kind of watch him constantly fall down, come back up, fall down, come back up. But he always did come back up, but he would, he would always fall down, you know, and he was learning about his illness. He was learning about, um, you know, what he was going through all on his own. You know, he didn't have that help. Um, so most of his, most of the decisions he's made in life is decisions that he's made out of, you know, the fact that he's, you know, been messed over by the services here and the people that are supposed to help him and the fact that he's got this illness and he didn't really know how to deal with it. Um, so I always bear people like him in mind because when I was um, going through what I was going through, I always thought to myself, gosh, you know, um, I wish that there was more people helping him and I wish that more people could be able to see, you know, their way of help isn't helping, you know? Um, So yeah, um, I think that's why I really advocate for mental health because I think, I think people that are suffering, um, they don't have the access to services here because services are very underfunded and police officers are dealing with, mental health patients all the time and they shouldn't be um 
and I, I just think that there is there is a bit of an issue here with with mental health especially it's it's in the uk there's an issue there is a huge issue and i don't i don't know how to how to solve it but i know that it does need to be solved it really does kind of um it's a really good segue to your interview with a uh, professor and is it Anand Menon? Anand Menon. Anand Menon. Yeah. I actually wrote my bachelor on um, the differences between men and women, and part of that was within uh, the mental health service. Um, so oh, I did a bit yeah. of research in the UK. And so tell me about your experience with, because I, what I found is that men in, with mental health services in the UK and in, in generally in, in the Western world, it's kind of because mental health tends to be designed for women in a way. So a lot of men come into certain places and you know, the walls might be pink or there'll be women's magazines on the table. And, and what is your experience with your father there? Um, my dad's experience with mental health um, was an interesting one because he also had diabetes. So um, when he wouldn't take his mental health medication, he would forget to take his diabetes, you know, his insulin. And, you know, one would affect the other. Mm. So um, it was always kind of, when I was around him, I was monitoring to see if he was taking either. Um, and paranoid schizophrenia is a funny one because um, it's one of those illnesses where it's slightly like bipolar. So you're up and down, but you're also paranoid that people are out to, to, to get you. And it doesn't help when the mental health services send police officers to bang down your door when you're not turning up to appointments. Now, if that is a result of, of people not coming to appointments there's something wrong yeah you know sounds crazy. Um, yeah. it's it's disgusting and i he was so scared of you know that happening again because it was so traumatic for him he just didn't go to psychologists mm -hmm. so you know that trust broke down you know his you know accessibility to be able to get to get to those people and get the help that he needed and i just i just think it, it was just unfair the way that they dealt with him i also know that in the uk that you know black men are most likely to get sectioned than white men and my dad dad was sectioned a lot um so i i don't know if that was a part of it uh, what i do know is that the way that he was dealt with i thought that was quite heavy-handed um he wasn't a um a danger to other people um he was more of a danger to himself because you know, if he was not taking his medication, he's that, you know, he would have a hyper, um, you know, when you, uh, when you have diabetes, you have a hyper. When you're yeah. yeah. So you start to kind of like hallucinate and stuff like that. And it's like stages before you like actually pass out. Mm. So that when you've got mental health issues is a scary yeah. situation to be in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was one thing that was playing into another and it was, it was very hard to be able to tell him to get the help when this, the help will result in something bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, just, it just sounds like a massive um, communication problem as well. Like they just didn't know how to communicate and, you know, the sort of elements that are needed to make the other person feel safe and comfortable and be able to relay what they're feeling they were just coming in as he said very heavy-handed very belligerent sort of approach and yeah. just completely sh making the other person completely shut down um and then and then they perceive that as them being difficult and then it just it just ends up escalating and then it just turns into a massive problem 
Yeah, I've spoken to many police officers and they've spoken about how men, how they've been called out for people that have got mental health issues and they shouldn't be the ones that are having to deal with people with mental yeah. health issues. And I completely agree because, mm. yeah. you know, you're dealing with somebody that's already in prison in their mind and throwing them into a cell, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not really a way to deal with someone like that. So yeah. I, th- I think there is a funding problem yeah. that, you know, it may need a bit of looking at yeah one of my experiences here in Denmark because you know I think it's the same problem in a lot of places is the training and um, you know the police here they train basically the equivalent of three or four years they train before the police officers so I was kind of uh, quite amazed that it's only a few months in the US and I'm wondering if, if it is a situation in the UK where people are coming out police are coming out maybe you know they need more training for that kind of a, that kind of thing, and and going back to your interview with uh, uh, on your podcast, uh, and also a previous conversation you and I have had, where do you think there needs to be some improvements in terms of uh, the way that they're approaching men, the way they're approaching minorities, and you know institutional racism? We, we had a little discussion about that. What what is in police or? Uh, yeah, as, as in the way as in the way the system is approaching uh, people of color. I think that, firstly, I've got a really weird, um, I might have a really odd understanding of it, but for me, I think racism is a mental health issue. I think if you, if you think that you are better than somebody because of the colour of your skin, and then you are aggressive, or you, are, um, you want to hurt that person because of the colour of their skin, that's a mental health issue. It's also a mental health issue to be on the opposing end of that and have to deal with that level of oppression over and over again and have to suppress it because you, it's become so normalized. Like, so on both ends, there's an issue mentally. Um, I think that is, that is what the core problem is. And I think that's why most things happen the way they do, you know, even down to, you know, the jobs that people take, the education people um, take, you know, the fact that some people get into crime and some people don't. It can be down to you not feeling, you feeling less than, you being made to feel like you are a thug or you are, you are going to get into drugs so you get into it because what else, you know, what else is the result? They already think I'm going to do that. You know, or you kind of armoring yourself with education, high jobs, high, high powered, you know, this and that. And just because you felt so less than from that one experience that you don't ever want to go back to that again. So I think that there is a, a level of, you know, um, mental health implications. And I do think racism is a public health issue. Um, in the US, they have actually progressed to um, a term called racial trauma. And racial trauma is just like PTSD, but like from when you've kind of suffered like a uh, an incident within um, for racism or discrimination and if anything triggers that issue then you were, are going to react like the first time that happened to you I think it's the same thing here but people don't know that they're dealing with it they don't know that that has made them feel the way that they have or you know even to the fact of people might not even go to certain positions because they feel that that's not for something of a person of color or that's not something for a white person to be doing do you know what I mean so I, th- I think it's, it's changing the way that people think about themselves, changing the, the, the peop- people's level of self-worth. Um, you know, I, I think it's impacted people in a hell- heck of a lot of ways. 
and especially in the UK because we're still at the point where we're conversating about what's racist and what isn't and it's like we need to go beyond that you know like we already know what racism is why are you arguing with me about what why it isn't instead of us talking about how we can solve it you know um I think a lot of people just need some mental healing um and to be retaught what they have been taught you yeah. know um because education doesn't just finish at school it's beyond that and in my school I remember I was taught um I was sat there reading a book have you ever heard of of mice and men yeah, yeah. that book has the n-word in it over 200 times mm. I remember sitting in a classroom in my favorite um my favorite um class which was English and having you know my teacher read that to the class mm. to the point I had to put my hand up and read it because I was too embarrassed to have this man read that word over and over again to, to mm-hmm. my class, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yes, there does need to be some educational reform, but then outside, there is also, you know, levels of microaggressions in the media, you know, kind of how, look at Megan and Kate Middleton, if I'm going to be really, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, the way that you kind of, you know, treat certain groups in the media the way that you are always kind of depicting films of black people as as slaves and saying that that is black history but you know there is way more history than just that yeah. you know it's it there just needs to be a whole like reform and and you know yeah up of everything you know yeah it just seems it seems like people need to differentiate between labels and identity yeah this is what it seems like people are blurring those lines and a lot of say the discrimination and the things are just labels that people are putting on them but it's nothing to do with your actual identity and just because we are of a similar skin color but you don't speak for me i don't speak for you i'm still my my own person i have my own views within that thing and i think a lot of it's just they're trying to do a one-size-fits-all sorts sort of thing all the time and a lot of the time just like you know when the very first podcast with the black lives matter thing you know we you know winston and i were both from the caribbean we're both identified as black men and all the rest of it we've had completely different experiences within racism i've never really experienced any in my life to be honest with you um and a lot of it has come from my own community if i am to be completely honest with the whole light skin dark skin you know sort of conflict that we all are aware of and that's that's been my experience was winston's had you know more of the sort of um commercial sort of ordinary police brutality ish sort of stuff and you know the more the tip stereotypical stuff um so you know you've you've got to account for everybody's sort of individual experiences as well yeah and when lisa when you mentioned about it's a mental health issue i've never never looked at it like that before but but because of that it kind of it opens the door for a a way of treating the situation like you know just relearning as as you mentioned relearning the way you know maybe even like just allowing instead of having to put people in boxes having the opportunity to be more open and more free and more able to be in that ambiguity of people yeah. come from. and i give the example of uh, and i know a lot, a lot of people get offended by this i used to i don't anymore but it was a question about you know where do you come from and i would always say the uk um and it took me a long time to realize you know that because i would get really offended that yeah but where do you really come from and the question you know they want to know your ancestry and it's kind of like is that my identity is it is it where my great-grandparents come from that is my identity 
and it's yeah. kind of you know if, if we can teach people and help people to have that um, that it's okay to not be able to put people in boxes that, that could be part of the re-education yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Look at how long the list when you're applying for a job look how long the list is now you can be black this black that black this black that and i'm like isn't there just one type of black <laughs> like yeah. i thought we're just all black british you know yeah like but it's it's like kind of putting people into all these different groups and then you know putting them into fame you know and then yeah. it's like all these are over there yeah. and then yeah. all the rest of yous you know yeah. are, are here and you know it's it's hard to not make people feel othered when you are othering them <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah yeah I, I i just i think that it needs to be um there needs to be something solved even and um, professor anand said that he was stopped in search he said that during my interview and this is a professor of european politics and he's mm. highly respected um so it's it happens to all of us and yes there is colorism within our own community mm um which doesn't help us either mm. um but i think that comes from us being taught about yeah white versus black and then it's light skin yeah. versus you know what i mean yeah because so yeah. yeah. i was thinking about this the other day it's just like no other sort of race really has the diversity really that the black community has because within the black there's so many different shades and cultures within that whereas white is kind of white and yes they have different cultures but there's that from the appearance wise they look the same you know in that sort of skin color and respirate whereas black people is this complete different range and that opens up the door for that segregation and disunity and people sort of fighting against because we are kind of naturally tribal so we yeah. gravitate towards people that look similar to us as a sort of basic instinct and yeah. within other communities they don't really have that because they kind of look similar in the way whereas within the black community you know you've got everything from as light as myself to as, as dark as you know as some of my uncles and aunties that are very very dark in jamaica so it's you know it's just one of these things that we have to contend with i wonder if that's just like a, a miss or not miseducation but a lack of education because um you know in psychology one of the things we learn is that if whatever you like you will be able to see the differences or whatever you are for example if you're a black guy you can much more easily see the difference in black people than a white person can you, you know like i'm sure you remember being in school in the uk like people just saw everyone who was uh, chinese looking was chinese and it's mm -hmm. like you know as you grow up you learn there's actually loads of different countries there it's the same in Africa, you know, we just learned Africa. Yeah. Instead of like, there's how many different countries and in each of those countries there's how many different tribes and everyone's got their features. And, you know, as black people, meeting black people, you get to be able to see the differences. Mm. Whereas a white guy who hasn't experienced black people just sees all of us as the same, right? And, you know, like, so we end up with BAME, for example. Mm. It's like, we are different in so many different ways. And maybe we need that education more pushed out there. Yeah, and... and Asking questions is always great as well. I've met so many people from so many different places, especially during this degree. And they, you know, I've had friends that would openly ask me questions um, and be like, you know, well, why are you darker than her? Or why is she lighter than you? And, you know, it was asking different questions about why black people are, are different shades and different mm -hmm. colors. But I respected it because she asked. Yeah. She didn't make and, a generalization. And, yeah. And yeah. we just have to be a bit more approachable in letting people ask us these questions because, yeah. you know, with asking us, we're educating them, they're educating us. You know, people look at, probably look at black people and think, oh gosh, they all look the same as well. And I can imagine why they would think that. 
But mm-hmm. at the same time, if we are not open to be able to having those conversations and those back and forth, then, mm-hmm. you know, not, we'll, we'll never, nobody will ever know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's about communication and really making people feel safe to be able to approach and ask these types of questions because only through that are we really going to be educated and actually move on and evolve. Yeah. within that you know because you know people could ask just like they said why are we all such different tones i mean speaking from a caribbean background most caribbean people are mixed uh from all of the different inhabitants of the island so even you could be as dark as anything or as light as me or even like my mum, who's from jamaica who's blonde blue-eyed and white but both her parents are, are dark so that it, it's just a complete sort of mix and mash and the, the, the genes just come through and it's uh, you know and I enjoy telling people this sort of thing because I find it interesting myself how things can skip a generation and then you know depending on who I choose to have a child with it could come out completely like anything it could come out like my mum or it could come out looking like Winston or you know whatever you know that's the great thing about being black you just yeah. never know you, you don't never know. know yeah <laughs> exactly it's, uh, it's great whereabouts from the Caribbean are both you from just like out of um my family from saint elizabeth uh so that's i've ever been there but i've been told that's where all the light-skinned guys come from i guess <laughs> that's what i've been told <laughs> that's that's what i've been told and then my um and then that's, um that's what i've been told that's where all the light-skinned jamaicans are usually based um and then my dad's from trinidad and he's uh, asian so i'm mixed with asian and black and white basically everything <laughs> interesting yeah, well, my, my father's side is Jamaican. So my, my father moved to the UK when he was about six, seven years old. Um, my mother's family is, my mother's born in the UK, but my mother's family is, is Dominican. Not Dominican Republic, but Dominica, the smaller island. Yeah. And um, my mum is really light-skinned. Like, um, yeah, even, even lighter than you, Gavin, like way lighter. Than, and, uh, you know, so when my son was born, my son was almost looked, you know, really, really light skinned and you, everyone was completely shocked. But it was just, again, you know, my family, my mother's side especially, but my family is very mixed. Like we've, we've done, we've done um, ancestry and found we have, uh, we have Scottish blood in us. We have Chinese yeah, blood. Yeah, so it's, it's a very mixed family mm, when, you, wow. when you start going way back up the family tree. That is so interesting. Yeah. My, um, my, dad's, my dad's side of the family from Jamaica, from yeah. Manchester, which is quite yeah. interesting. Manchester and um, then my mum's side of the family are from Nevis um, which is quite near Dominica and um, St Kitts and Nevis so um, small island and kind of biggish Jamaican island and then um, and then I found out um, just before my grand died which she died just a month ago um, that her dad was Jamaican Jewish and he fought mm-hmm. in the world war world, world war one and I didn't know there was any Jamaican Jews. Yeah, yeah, so that's, like, yeah. That's that's what I think my that's what I think my 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 mum's heritage is from because of the uh, light skin sort of thing. Because a lot of Jewish people are in Saint Elizabeth apparently, so that's wow. where the mix comes in. So Crazy. yeah. So, so whenever I speak to anyone about Jamaica, they're like, so they're so Jamaica. Everyone is Rastafarian, and there's yeah. just like. No, not really. You know, everyone's Christian, probably more Christian than they are here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's actually really funny because even like, they, I think a lot of uh, the Jamaicans actually don't like Rastafarians from what I've experienced. They don't. They, they don't. really don't because my <laughs> mum, when my mum dread, did dreads in her hair, my, my grandfather stopped speaking to her. <laughs> yeah like it's really yeah like she, she just, he just didn't want her, one of his children to have that look. 
Wow. Music. Wow. <laughs> The music's oh, wow. made made people think that's what Jamaica is. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much more to it. Yeah, it's popular though. It's really popular. Yeah, yeah, really like that. Yeah. yeah so, um, so going through all of those things, um, what kind of tools would you say that really stood out to you as you as you've progressed through your journey that you've been able to fall back on as a framework to get you through the tougher times and the challenges? You know, things that you've noticed that you've been able to fall back on and say, okay. This is happening now. I need to do X, Y, Z to get myself back to uh, you know a helpful sort of uh, place. Uh, I think yeah, the, the entrepreneurism is is always um, good to to fall back on. I know that if anything didn't work out, I could still do someone's hair. I could still work in a salon. I could still do someone's makeup. I, I still got those skills. Um, and then also. Like I'm a really good researcher that I didn't realize before. Um, so this was something that I realized when I was in university that I was really good at finding stories that people might overlook. Um, but I do think that is because I'm from a different background. Um, and that's why I think diversity is, is really good because I think when people come from different perspectives, they can find little you know, nuances and stories that you might not even pull out, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm good at finding stories, I guess. And I also blog, so I write and I write a lot about my experience from moving from Manchester to London. Mm. And I found that writing that blog was very, very therapeutic for what I was going through because it was a cultural change. And I mm -hmm. didn't know it was a cultural change. I thought UK to UK, not going to be that bad, but it, it was dramatic. Mm. It was dramatic and I wasn't um, ready for the things that I would face here. So um, I found that writing this blog, it kind of got very popular because people shared the same views, but didn't say it to each other because they all lived here. Mm. And I was kind of like an outsider looking in, being able to be like, okay, that isn't right. That's weird. Why am I, why am I this close to somebody, but I'm not able to talk to them? Why do we walk on this side of the the escalator and not that side of the escalator where are all these rules coming from it, it was just like the place is so bizarre to me and still i'm learning about it um what's the, yeah. what's the what's the most bizarre thing that you've come across i think it has to be it has to be the tube that yeah. just this all these rules on the tube that i that everybody just knows but it's not shared it's not written anywhere really? but it. yeah because like like, obviously you're growing up here it just isn't whatever it doesn't i don't recognize anything it just seems normal <laughs> yeah like you know like okay then so when you go in into the tube station you must be on this side unless you're walking up the stairs yeah so you must, you must be on the right otherwise if you stood in the middle people will just huff and puff behind you or like you know <laughs> passive aggressively excuse me and then before you know it there's a bunch of people that just want to get past you so that was bizarre to me because there's no signs that say that i have to do that so then um, also on the tube, when the tube is packed, people can still get on it. And then if you're this close to somebody, how dare you ever speak to them or say hello or make a joke? Like, okay. you can't make any eye contact with this person. Mm. But that is bizarre to me. It's also bizarre that I found that men, especially in certain stations, I don't want to stereotype, but because I'm on the Northern Line. Okay. So on, on a certain station, the men are really aggressive. And yeah, when, they get on, 
Yeah. And when they get on the tube, it's very much, they have a really good way of ignoring people and ignoring the fact that someone might be stood there that needs to sit down. So they'll sit down, open their arms, do a big, like with their big paper like this, and then just not pay attention to anyone else around them. I thought that was bizarre as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of weird things going on um, in this place. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. It's weird. It's a very weird place to me. Have you tried journalism in, up in, in the North? Is there a difference with that? We haven't tried to be a journalist up in, in Yorkshire or Manchester? Um, no, I've not. Because I was trained here and it wasn't a plan to come to London and be trained. Um, I'm kind of just um, seeing how it goes here. Um, I've Because I've started this podcast as well, um, it would be good to stay in the same place and this documentary is being produced here. Um, so yeah, but I wouldn't have any problems with going back to the north, going back to where I came from, um, to to do journalism. Okay. When is the documentary out, by the way? So it's been extended to the August the tenth. Um, so it should be coming out the week after. And um, they actually want to commission an article with it. So um, that should be extra work for me to do. So that's why it's been extended. But it it should be good. Um, I was out filming as well with them and it was it has to be one of the um one of the most uh, uh it was heavy the documentary is very heavy um it's a very heavy documentary it's close to my heart as well because one of the case studies for the documentary um he was mishandled by the police and his father had paranoid schizophrenia. No, his, his brother had paranoid schizophrenia like my dad did. Um, so it's a very close story. Uh, and I understand um, the frustration there. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a heavy story, but it needs to, it needs to be told. Okay, okay that's cool. Um, so so this, uh, like looking back on your life uh, as a younger person, um, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself coming up uh, to, you know, to help them on their way or just to sort of correct any limiting beliefs they may have had about themselves? Um, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself or just anybody really coming up? That experience in life and all its textures is the best thing you can do. Even if somebody tells you not to do something, sometimes, it's usually them projecting their own fears onto you. And if you feel like it's something that you want to do, you should do it. And if you fail at doing it, then you know you shouldn't be doing that, you know? But my mom used to say to me, who can't hear will feel. Yeah, and yeah. that was- you make an asshole, that? <laughs> Yeah, and that was the story of my life, you know? Um, yeah. I felt everything and I was yeah. able to, um, I still am kind of living life through kind of my own rules, not, not by somebody, what someone else is telling me to do. Um, I, I just think that's so important mm. because when you get to a stage where you are so dependent on somebody else's opinion of you, you don't ever know what you want to do. You don't, you don't ever have any, you know, direction. Yeah. You, know, you eventually get to the point where you'll get lost. Um, yeah. So make your own choices. And um, if somebody tells you to not, that you can't do something, don't believe them until you try to do it and 
and you've actually not been able to do it, you know? Yeah, um, great, great advice. Yeah, it is great because through that journey, you may discover that you might like something else and it will open up another door. Just like your experiences, I guess, you've, you've sort of gone from one thing to the next and you've just sort of discovered so many things that you've been passionate about and you've ended up in this place now where you're able to do all the things that you really love. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's, so, it's so hard to kind of do that. One, if you've got dependence. Two, if you've got these mental limitations that you can't, and three, if you've got if you are got if you've got someone next to you that is telling you what you should do and what you can't do, like the and I didn't mention this before, but like when I was really lost in my life when I was like fifteen, one thing that my auntie gave to me was a Bible, and I'm not I'm not like a huge you know I'll go to church every minute and whatever, but just kind of the guidance of being able to, you know, pray on something, watch something come into fruition, being able to believe in something beyond myself, knowing that even if I'm alone, I'm not fully alone. That, that kind of stuff can help as well. Because I think people my age fear to be alone. They mm. fear to be isolated. They fear to not have their friends around them all the time. Mm. And, you know, you need to forget about that like you know yeah yeah, exactly if you can find something that you know makes you believe in something that makes you feel like you're not alone then hold on to that and and just go out and fly like go out and live your life and you'll find what you'll go to where you need to go to you know um but don't wait for nobody (laughs) yeah that's very true you know that's very true all those things are very very true it's that whole thing of finding peace within yourself before you can have peace with others type of thing and yeah. finding that within yourself and realizing that is is you're never alone you, you, if you have your faith in the various things that you're doing and you're focused on achieving the things that you want to achieve you know you will meet the people that you need to meet everything will gravitate towards you yeah it's true it's very true i've actually got a vision board behind me yeah yeah those those are great yeah, um, I highly recommend those because it just yeah. keeps, it keeps it keeps those those goals right at the forefront of your mind. Yeah. You can get lost in life so easily, and you end up. This this is why, for example, I've done all the things that I've been able to do during this pandemic because I just got stuck on a, a treadmill of doing the same things over and over and over, and you don't really feel like you've got a gap to really spend a good amount of time on developing the skills that you've always wanted to and having boards like that and sort of saying your stuff over and over in your mind and sort of working towards it really it really makes a big difference and I think a lot of people don't do that they kind of put themselves into a very unconscious position where they go to the pub have a few drinks and then you just kind of lose yourself in that not saying that is a bad thing everyone wants to do whatever they want to do but if you're really looking to make some progress it's very difficult when your mind isn't you know fully alert yeah Yeah. you need to be disciplined it's 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 nothing for or against it you need to be disciplined you need to kind of constantly be able to say no to things that are not on your path you know that is hard when you're young and you want to fit in so you need to get out of that mindset of wanting to fit in like i don't care most of the time i go i walk around and i'm I'm on i'm on my own but i don't feel like i'm on my own you know it doesn't make me feel like Oh my gosh, no one's talking to me. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. here to do what I want to do. And people will gravitate towards you that mm-hmm. also have that same, you know, uh, that same, like, strong sense of self. And you'll yeah. be able to, you know, create really long lasting 
healthy, good relationships. Yeah, it's, it's about creating the environment that, that induces the, the best, that allows you to be able to do the things that you want to do and, and adding meaning to, to the various connections that, you, that you've had and that, you've, that you can sort of develop um, as you're working towards your, the goals that you've set yourself. And then obviously they change over time and they evolve, but you just got to be mutable and be able to sort of move around and be flexible. And that's what a lot of people I find don't really have. They, they get very fixed in a certain way. This has to be this, this has to be that. And they panic when things aren't exactly fit into that sort of mold. When actually, as they say, you know, all the success is, you know, out, lies outside of your comfort zone. Uh, so they need to, you know, just relax a little bit. You know, there isn't, you know, they, they imagine this, massive sort of failure as being the end of the world and it's just a moment i think just yeah. that's, that's what you get saying is that um you know if you've got a purpose if you know what is where you're trying to get to and it, a lot of things a lot of decisions you need to make will make sense you won't need to think too much about them and you know going back to these like you said the guys sitting in the pub not doing anything it's because i get the idea that they maybe don't have like a much larger purpose so they don't need to be doing anything so they just do whatever the day whatever happens to be going on that day Whereas, you know, if you, if you like you're doing a journalism, you know exactly what kind of journalism you want to do. You want to you know what you're trying to achieve. So really easy for you to make decisions to get there and know what you shouldn't waste your time as well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, I think like my podcast, I wanted to be able to build a idea of the type of journalism that I wanted to go into. So I was setting, I was setting out this is what I want to do. Don't box me into it, entertainment or sports. Mm. I want to go into this. I want to be asking these questions. So hence why I started doing it myself. It might end up developing where I, I completely just end up doing that and that becomes its own entity. But, you know, the mindset was I really wanted to be able to speak to these people and this is the opportunities that they were giving me. And I, I don't think the opportunities that they were giving me fit with what I really wanted to do so I made it I made a decision to do something myself and I'm really enjoying it I really really enjoy it um, yeah. I, I get so much out of it it's I, I really like it I yeah. really really do yeah and that's the thing I think most people need to realize that as as human beings we need to pursue fulfillment um, and not just happiness happiness is a moment uh that keeps you buzzing along but when you're f really fulfilled in the things that you're doing it lasts it's, it's a meal that keeps on giving you Much it's a buffet it, it yeah. keeps you going and you won't need all of the things that you mentioned before all these friends all of these empty sort of social engagements and all that you 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 feel fulfilled like your job and the things that you're doing just fuel you to keep going on and on and on and on and you just keep doing stuff and that's what i think a lot of people need to sort of work towards just practically that you know you don't you don't get out of bed in the morning because you're happy you get out of bed in the morning because you've got a goal you've got a purpose you've got you know even if it's just going to work you've got a reason why you get out of bed it's not because you're happy yeah <laughs> like in bed, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's both for me I, I i do get happy because of what i'm doing but then it's also feeding into this idea of me working towards something that i feel is, is taking me somewhere I just don't know where that is, but I know it's taking me somewhere, you know, um, and I'm answering questions that are not being covered, you know. I'm I'm looking at the news and I'm waiting for these these interviews yeah. to happen. Yeah. And when they don't, I'm like, why? You know, why are we not asking these questions? You know, um, 
Well, the reason why is because you need to do that. <laughs> That's your place. <laughs> That's your place well, you're and the whole mechanism of it all. And, you know, just saying, you know, and it's a beautiful thing going off and having complete sort of limitless potential. And that's what's the beauty about it. You can go, you don't know where you're going to, but you, you're moving and wherever it ends up is wherever it ends up. And it's a beautiful thing. Whereas a lot of people have a lot of sadness and depression because they see a limit. They see that roof. They know, okay, I can only get promoted so many times and then that's it. <laughs> and that's yeah. where a lot of unhappiness comes into it. And then they start doing crazy things to just feel alive. And that's where they get these little moments of happiness, but they're not fulfilled. And this is where the problem, this is where the problem lies. You need to search and, and strive for fulfillment over little moments of happiness. And I feel like if a lot of people focused in on that more, would have, a, you know, less, less likely to have these problems, a lot of problems that we have. So Lisa, um, I listened to your podcast and now we've just spoken about these questions that people don't get to hear. If we want to hear these questions that we don't normally hear, how do we how do we watch your podcast and how do we hear the questions you've been asking? Like, give us your your social media and where, where do we go to hear to listen to you? So, um, my podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. Um, I'm on Anchor, Anchor FM. I'm on Apple. I'm on Google. I'm on TuneIn now. Um, SoundCloud, MixCloud. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find the Scrutiny Hour. Um, I've got um, a Facebook page called At Lisa Journalism, and you can follow me there. Um, and I kind of update people on what I'm doing, you know, um, where to kind of go for my work. And I've got a website, um, www.lisajournalldn.com, where I put all of my journalism work, my TV work, my documentaries. Um, I've done more than one documentary. Um, so please, please do look on my website yeah. um, you can also find the scrutiny hour on my um, website and then my blog post about me loving and hating London okay. um, and um, yeah I also put my events and stuff like that on there so I'm trying to get people to go on my website because I wanted to do YouTube but I don't know I might do that on, on a different time but I really want to own my stuff have it all in one place um, so yeah please do go on my website and um, also my Twitter is jlisajournal and my um, Instagram is lisahanleyig. Oh, Great. Okay, fully, fully covered. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got everything, everything going, going on. Everything going, that's good. Even that alone is a full-time job, <laughs> even up all the social media. <laughs> it is a full-time job and like, like when I was studying, I did fashion brand promotion with journalism that's what I did as my first bachelor's and I was so ashamed to tell people about it because you know everyone in in my um tv journalism class you know some people did economics and politics and stuff like that as a bachelor's I'm like oh I did fashion brand promotion journalism but you know what it did teach me it taught me about marketing it taught me about social media it taught me how to build a product how to sustain it I mean yeah and then you're using it for yourself and that's it yeah I didn't know that those skills that I got taught there would come into handy for what I'm doing now um, because I, I didn't enjoy marketing, but because I'm marketing something that I like because yeah. it's me and stuff, you know, it's something that I needed to learn. So every little thing that you're going to learn in life is going to be a lesson that you're going to be able to put into practice at some point, but you have to be awake. <laughs> yes. You have to be paying attention. 100%. 100%. <laughs> 
All right, Lisa, I'm looking at the time. I know you had an appointment after after our interview, so, um, oh so we're not going to keep you any longer. Yeah. This was really cool. Really nice yeah, it's really nice meeting you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Really and nice. um, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's, this is a really great platform, and I really, really love that you're doing this. Um, so thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. Lisa. Thank and um, you again, everyone, the links for Lisa and her social media are below. So definitely listen to our podcast. It was really interesting to be ahead, the, the latest one. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys soon. This was The Big Thought with Gavin, Winston, and Lisa. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.